In this episode, I'm joined by Shanoa Dimal. She is a professional actor and has been in many productions, including The Seven Stages of Grieving, The Longest Minute, which she received a Matilda Award nomination for Best Actress, and most recently in the production Cursed. Shanoa is a Thethal Wada woman from the Gugi Yimthara Nation. Shanoa is passionate about her work and the roles that she takes on. The more exposure Indigenous kids and children of colour, I mean, you know, refugee kids, the more that they see themselves and their stories represented, the more they feel like they're they're important and that they matter and their stories matter. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's important to me, that that they're valuable. Welcome to Cultures of Change, the podcast where we are having conversations about healing our identity. We bring you the strategies and conscious thinking for you to grow your confidence and understand your abilities to create the future that you choose. For much of my life, I carried the feeling that I wasn't Māori enough. Growing up in Australia, disconnected from my country and being immersed in my culture, That was until I realised everything I was yearning for was within me. My mana is my own and I am enough. I'm Erica McCready, a proud Māori woman living on Yugambeh land. I'm a cross-cultural communications specialist and have worked with hundreds of First Nations people globally. I'm the co-founder of Cultures of Change and I am passionate about supporting Indigenous women to find their inner wisdom These conversations draw on the power and knowledge of the strong women who have walked before us. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Healing Our Identity podcast. I'm joined by another very special guest, Shinoa Dimal. Before I introduce Shinoa, I want to start by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land and seas where I live and work, the Turnbull, Yagara and Jagara nations here in Mijing. I want to acknowledge the ancestors that I come with, Ngāti Raukoa Te Aitangata Hoati, and acknowledge your ancestors wherever it is you're tuning in from. I acknowledge elders past, present and the next generation of leaders that are coming forward. We are here joined by Shinoa Dimal. Shinoa is a Thitha Wada woman from Gugu Yimithir Nation. In 2020, Shinoa appeared in the world premiere of Ensemble Theatre's Black Cockatoo and in the award-winning Australian play Holy Day by Andrew Bovell in New York in March 2019. With production partners United Stages and Grin and Tonic, Shanoa had a month-long season of the seven stages of grieving with Wesley Enoch and Deborah Malman at Starlight Theatre Los Angeles. In 2018, she played the lead in Queensland Theatre's The Longest Minute, which received a Matilda Award nomination for Shanoa, Best Actress in a Leading Role. She also appeared in David Williamson's Sorting Out Rachel at Sydney's Ensemble Theatre in 2018. Her performance in the Queensland Theatre, Grin and Tonic co-production, The Seven Stages of Grieving, garnered huge critical acclaim, 
The production went also went to London for 2019 Border Crossings Origins Festival. Other theatre credits include Rainbow's End, Riverside Theatre, and Octoron, St Mary's in Exile, Mother Courage and Her Children, Queensland Theatre, The Voice in the Walls, Imaginary Theatre, Mr Takahashi and Other Falling Secret, Corrugated Iron, and A Man with Five Children, Darlinghurst Theatre. Splatterlot, YTB Canada, CBBC, ABC3, and short film Love Song Dedication. Shinoa has a Bachelor of Fine Arts from QUT, an advanced diploma of the performing arts from the Aboriginal Centre of the Performing Arts. How absolutely amazing. I'm really excited to have you here on the podcast today. Welcome, Shinoa. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. So good to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. (laughs) I'm excited too. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. I want to start by asking you, whereabouts do you want to start in your story? Um, I think, well, I usually start at the the beginning where I grew up. Uh, I grew up, it was still Gookie Imsid country where I I grew up, Um, but it was uh, on a mine site. Uh, called K Flattery and it was pretty remote. Um, the local mob from there, the local clan groups from Gugiamsid from there are um, Dingal mob, um, Daniel mob and the um, and Murumungu uh, tribes and they are all clan groups and uh, so they're the traditional owners at the mine site but I, my father worked um, on the mines as a supervisor and we got to have a house there. So I grew up there from when I was four to 14. So that kind of informed most of my early life. And um, I, because we were so remote, uh, my um, my love for performing arts actually came from, well, my passion for, for the theatre and, and performing arts actually came from doing shows every year for the, um, for the miners. So, uh, each year, our, our little school, which was like only about, I think about 10 or 15 kids at the most, um, we would do a little play at the end of each year. And I remember before I went to school, I wasn't part of, you know, I couldn't do it because I was too young. So, and I couldn't wait to get into school to to be on that stage and, and join everybody else. And um, so, yeah, that that was the beginning of that. And, and then my parents... Um, started to run this uh, their own little video store. So we had it like a wall in our house that was like had all these shelves on it and they would set up all the videos, you know, on there and people would come over and hire them out, you know. And so I got to get all of the new, um, watch all of the new movies. And, um, yeah, and then I just, I absolutely loved um, just watching actors. And uh, I think when I was about... Uh, around about nine or ten, this this woman came and visited Kay Flattery, and she was sitting with my mum for a while. And I started talking, and and she was asking me all of these questions. I can't even remember the conversation, but uh, about a couple of months later, uh, she sent in the mail um, a copy of the complete works of William Shakespeare, <laughs> and and I I was like, wow, I didn't. Um, and me being, you know, nine or, or ten, I didn't know, I couldn't understand 
the words, but, and I would read it and I'd go, I can't understand this. And then I started to say it out loud. This, I just, this instinct hit me and I started to read it out loud and I was, I was, I felt something shift in me and I, I didn't understand it, but I understood it. I don't know. It was, yeah, you know, you wow. have this, like, little, this spark um, lights up in you. And, um, and yeah, like, and in my career since then, I've strayed away from Shakespeare. <laughs> but, um, but that was, you know, that was my initial little, you know, little spark into acting. So, um, yeah, and then I went to high school and I did all of the art subjects. I did music and drama and art and modern history and you know so I was I was one of those you know I was I was a drama kid you know I I was in the school choir I you know I played the violin for a couple of years (laughs) I played you know the drums and then I I ended up just playing all the percussion in the background of the (laughs) of the orchestra so um yeah it's just um, well I mean not orchestra school band but um yeah I was I was one of those um strange artsy kids that just yeah um that only wanted to do that (laughs) I love that I love hearing about that beginning that's amazing isn't it that what a seed that can be planted for you yeah from play you know plays at the end of the school year to your parents having a video store wall in your house and then this woman (laughs) giving gifting you Shakespeare that's amazing yeah yeah so amazing and just I don't know the fact that I don't even know what I said to this lady but obviously I said something that sparked something in her and she went this kid needs um needs to hear about Shakespeare she knows she needs to know about Shakespeare and then a couple of years later um the uh, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet came out and I was like, oh, I already have it. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Can you describe um, as best as you can what that what was that shift? What was you you know you said you read Shakespeare and you didn't quite understand it because none of us do when we read Shakespeare for the first time. <laughs> um, but then you spoke it out loud, and it that's where the shift happened for you. Yeah, I think um, I kind of, yeah, the, the feeling is really hard to describe, but it was like it was like I could feel the words in some weird way. And it was like, yeah, I under I I sort of could feel where it was going and I, I just um yeah, it, it yeah, it's really hard to explain that, but um, it's sort of like this this creative energy just takes over you and you mm. sort of just understand it in a in a really weird way. And um it's not intellectual, it's not um it's not uh it's not coherent thoughts, it's just feelings and emotions. And um and that's what happens for me now when I when I as an adult, when I feel that, that's that's the feeling that I get when I'm on stage, when I know I'm, I'm present, when I know I'm fully on stage and when I know I'm listening to the other actor and when I know that I'm responding 
to the other actor and um yeah so that's the feeling I can explain now but I yeah as a kid I just I, I didn't know didn't know what that was but I feel yeah. like it was just like the essence of creativity you know yeah, yeah. absolutely amazing mm. I love that and I love that you can relate that now to that being such a strength for you as an actor mm. yeah and it's because I think it's being on stage and performing is is something that is kind of inherent in a lot of Indigenous cultures and, and a lot of Indigenous people is because, you know, we we used to perform in ceremonies, we used to dance and um, and bring that performance to our, you know, our culture. So um, that feeling isn't foreign to us, you know, and it's it's just, it's always there. So, yeah. Well, we are storytellers, aren't mm. we? Exactly. We learn, we learn by stories, we're taught by stories. Mm. Um, here we are hearing your story, which is going to give some learnings to other people listening as well. So I love that. And, yeah, absolutely, our storyteller um, and our ability to perform, as you say, you know, ceremonies for us as Māori kapahaka groups, we are acting out the stories. They're not just words. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a beautiful image. I'd love to hear about um, the seven stages of grieving. That title in itself really speaks very loudly to me. Um, and I'd love to hear about that from you. It was written back in the early 90s. Uh, I think the first production of it was um, in 1995. And uh, Deborah Mailman performed it. And uh, it was her and Wesley. Wesley Enoch wrote it um, when they were still studying. And um, at the time, Wesley says there was this, this article that had um, been written and it was called The Five Stages of Grieving, I think. And, um, and he read that and he thought, you know, there are all these stages of, of Aboriginal history, um, especially since colonisation. And he kind of, and, and he went, Oh, there, there's actually seven stages to, to our history since colonization. Oh, well, pre-colonization and then after colonization. So, and and he directly correlated that those with the stages of grieving, and so out of that thought, him and um, Deborah Mailman got together and they put together uh, this show, which um, is a series of monologues and. Um, of their experiences as young Indigenous people and artists and their experiences in the early 90s. And I think the thing about it is there's there are some monologues that are specifically placed in a certain time, but uh, so much has, um, well, so much has happened but not happened since then that it's still so politically relevant today and especially in um 2015 when when we started rehearsals uh there was a there's a monologue that mentions pauline hansen in the original um in the original script and um we were when we were rehearsing this pauline hansen had just come back into the limelight and had just started her you know her rhetoric again and and so we just we just went wow this, you know have times changed or you know how how much have 
has time moved forward really how much have we moved forward as a country mm. to to see all of this happening again mm. and um so yeah i i see the seven stages of grieving as a as an australian classic because it really is timeless and it's only timeless because the government doesn't want to move forward you know and um and you know i i we started that in 2015 and then it went on to tour across the country and then um, to London and to Montreal. Actually, I don't know if it was in my bio that we'd gone to Montreal, but um, we we took it to uh, to Montreal to a, um, I think it was the, it's called APAM, I think. APAM, I can't remember what APAM stands for, but it, it's, a, it's a conference for theatre. So, yeah, so we took it to Montreal for that and, um, uh, and then we went to LA with it a couple of years ago. So it's had it's had a life because of its um, because of its relevance. And and last year, um, or was it this year? Sydney Theatre Company put on a on a production of it as well. Mm. So it's it still is full of life, and people are still seeing the relevance of it. And um, yeah, that one, what was really special about the one that STC, um, the Sydney Theatre Company recently did, was that um, an Indigenous female director, but it's mostly been men, and and Shari Sevens directed last year's show version of it, which which I didn't get to see, and I I really wish I hadn't missed that one. uh, yeah, and Elaine Crombie starred in that, and she's just she's a powerhouse woman, and I, I was yeah really disappointed I didn't get to see it. <laughs> <laughs> Not only is the story relevant here from the historical Indigenous story of Australia and colonisation, but you've that production went overseas, and it, as you say, it's still alive today. What was the yeah. response overseas? Um, it was really. Uh, it was really strange. I think um, American audiences aren't uh, used to this, the type of theatre that it is. And um, I, because I address the audience quite a lot, I'm telling them the stories, I'm telling them the monologues, they're, they're my other actor, basically. And American audiences are so used to um having a fourth wall and and just watching what's happening on stage rather than being engaged in it in that way. And um, so it it was really, uh, it was really strange for them, I think. And, um, but being in LA, there's a huge um, population of Australians living in LA. So it it was great when um, there, you know, when people would come along and see it from who were from Australia, because, you know, it felt really supportive. Whereas Americans, it's not like they weren't supportive. It was, um, it was just that it was something that they hadn't really seen before. Mm -hmm. And so it was them kind of making sense of what the story was and what this show was Mm -hmm. to them. And, um, there was there was one day where I knew there was not one Australian in the audience, and um, I was doing there's there's a um, there's like a stand up bit in it about about being black and you know and I asked the audience have you ever been black and I just explained my day of going out shopping and people following me or whatever and um, and it's it's super funny but um, yeah they just they they didn't get the jokes 
because it's so because it's so it's so um you know it, it's so black fella like it's just a real black fella jokes you know and and you know even white Australians sometimes don't get it you know and so um being there in in LA with and it was it was a Sunday too it was Sunday matinee so it's just old old people and it there was not a peep and I just wanted the ground to swallow me up you know because I was like oh my god I, no one's laughing here but um but yeah it uh it, it's yeah they, this there's such a di- it's such a different um uh theater culture in in america yeah wow i'm <laughs> laughing i'm laughing with you at at that and when people are not getting the joke and um yeah. just being completely on the other side of the world with people just not understanding even your background at all yeah. and then and then you're trying to lead them into this funny part of obviously a very raw topic yeah it's um yeah it is it is very raw uh and and it's such an emotional because you know it, it talks about grief and and losing family members and um the you know my first the first monologue in in the show is about um is about a funeral and how the whole family just gets together and there's 50 people in the house and you know um and uh, everybody just gets together and everybody has dinner together and there's there's so much joy and laughter but there's also grief and and pain and when i first read that um it was because i started rehearsals about five years after my mum had passed away so it it was just it just reflected almost exactly what we went through when my mum passed away you know our house was just full of people there was so much laughter and joy but um there was then people would go off into a corner and and grieve and cry and you would find them sitting there you know so it was um it was really powerful for me and I I I went this this is the perfect because I I had also going back I had also just finished uh, just um uh, graduated from university and Jason Clarwine, the director, contacted me while I was still at, at university and asked me if I wanted to do the show and I went, yeah, doing a one-woman show straight out of uni is like the, is perfect for me. And I And then when I saw that monologue, I just went, this is just a great way for me to use it to help me with my grief and to use it as a as a cathartic sort of way to to um let it out and um so yeah it was um it was really helpful for me in in that way and um when I'd gotten to I think it was like from what 2015 to 2019 what is that four years later um being in LA and and doing the show people were just like did did you write it because it feels like your story yes. and by that time you know I'd sunk into it so much that it it just was second nature to me and it did actually feel like my stories and there's so much about that that reflected my life mm. and um uh because I think there's so many um I mean our experience as Indigenous people in in Australia is pretty pretty much you know uh similar across board I mean we have 
our own individual experiences. But I mean, you know, um, the, the, the grief of being separated from family, the grief of losing people um, uh, a lot in your life and the grief of um, worrying about how long someone's going to live for uh, um, and watching people deteriorate, deteriorate in front of you is um, something that we all relate to. And in, in that sense, it's a really, um, it's a very raw show. It was a very raw show for me. Do you feel like it sounds like you got a lot of power out of um, your ability to release your grieving, as you were saying, like another level, another layer, another layer, and perhaps with each show, another layer. Mm. Um, do you feel like that has the ability to translate into the audience and anybody else who like support people who are going through their own processes of grieving, receiving that story and that uh, way in which you were able to deliver that? I think so. I think a lot of people would come and um, find that they're able to relate to the story regardless of whether they're uh, Indigenous or not. And and it comes down to that, that grief surrounding family and, and um, those experiences. People would, um, yeah, people who, you know, weren't, weren't Aboriginal or weren't Indigenous um, would come along and, and go, I, I related to that story because of this, you know. So it, it felt like there were so many aspects of it that were universal mm-hmm. and, and were just, you know, a universal human experience mm-hmm. that people could relate to. And I think that's why this play keeps coming up as, as something that people want to put on because there's so much about it that's, informative of the Aboriginal experience, but also relatable in the human experience. Mm. And that's what makes the show so good. I love that. I love that. And I really want to see it now as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think um, I think the Sydney Theatre one, Sydney Theatre Company one might have another life. Oh, so, um, yeah, I think it might. Yeah, because I, I think they did it at, earlier this year so I'm pretty sure it's going to come back so yeah beautiful Um, yeah I I love what I'm hearing about it because it feels like uh you know you're describing the ability for emotions to transcend the physical that's where we're connecting to each other beyond our physical selves or appearances or backgrounds we we all can relate to um, the depth of emotion that we share together um, and that's where connections come, isn't it? And that's where uh, understanding and empathy also come. So it sounds like a very, very powerful production on many, many levels and not just for you personally, but as it as that's delivered for anybody who's receiving it. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I'm Erica McCready, the founder of Healing Our Identity a platform for Indigenous women to share our stories, our knowledge and our life experiences. 
With 12 years experience working in Indigenous land and sea management across North Australia and with First Nations groups at home in Aotearoa, New Zealand and around the world, I have had the privilege and honour to work with and be mentored by many strong Indigenous women who have supported me to stand strong in who I am. Healing our identity is all about that. Real conversations about the challenges and experiences that have shaped our perspectives as Indigenous women and the healing that grew through accepting and honouring who we truly are. I've prepared a very special masterclass for you, Reclaim Your Identity. It's available now for free and you can access it at www.womenreconnecting.com. I'll put all the information in the show notes. Thank you so much for your support. Please like and share our episodes with those who you know need to hear these conversations as well. And don't forget to subscribe. Now, let's get back to this conversation. So you were nominated for the uh, Matilda Award for the Longest Minute. Tell us about that project. It was a a real passion project for me, that show. It was about the the grand final of 2015 when the Cowboys won. And, (laughs) And there was that minute at the end where it was all even and we, we needed like a cult <laughs> and and it was just the tension of that minute you know it was, it was the longest yeah. ever and um and JT got got it home for us thank goodness um yeah and I I remember um that I remember that being at at the um I was at the Paddo in 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 Paddington and it was full of Bronco supporters I, there was only two cowboy supporters there and it was me and this other strange woman that is stranger and um and yeah it was the it was the best feel I remember the feeling it was just the best feeling in, in the world being surrounded by all of these Broncos <laughs> and winning winning that game and um, I turned to the the woman in a cowboy jersey and I was like can I hug you <laughs> and she was like yes <laughs> so uh, yeah and then when I found out I think I found out about maybe yeah or a couple of years later that um that there was going to be a play about it and I went oh my god I am the perfect person for that but I was like I need I need that role I need that role I need to play that role <laughs> and um yeah and and when I read the script it was just such a great script and it was written by Nadine Nadine McDonald Dowd and um and Robert Cronk and uh, directed by Bridget Boyle, who uh, Bridget Boyle and and Robert Cronk run um, Debase Theatre Company, and they were the they were the brains behind it. Bridget's a, the one of the biggest Cowboys fans in the world, and um, and it, it ended up being a story about this young woman who um, grew up in Townsville and was just um, this avid, just this. Um, passionate rugby league player and wanted to be a footy player all her life and she's like I'm gonna be I'm gonna be you know the next JT I'm gonna you know Um, and and then she hits puberty and everybody's like you can't play football anymore you know and she's just like no but I want to play like I want to be I want to you know I want to be in the NRL and and um, and then 
she finds out about um, uh, women's rugby league and there's nothing in Townsville at the time. And um, by the time she hits um, 16, she's able to uh, play for the women's um, for the women's side, I think. And then um, she aims for to be in the Dillaroos, and that that's her that's her goal. And um, yeah. And then I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to ruin it. I, I don't know if the show will ever come back. Yeah, her brother sadly. Th- then her brother ends up dying, and um, she gives up the footy. And her her and her dad have this big argument because he's he's always been fully supportive of her brother, but her brother's um, uh, and he's a great player, but he's just not passionate like she is about football. And he's like he wants to connect to country and and um, learn about. Um, you know, learn about our culture. And he's more passionate about that. And um, I'm just all about football. And he passes away and um, my father all my life has ignored me. And we have a massive argument and then and and then the, the game happens and we kind of, I, I find my way back to my parents. And, yeah, I'm not explaining it uh great <laughs> at the moment but yeah it's um it's such a great story and and a lot of people uh came to see the show that didn't come like n- had never been to the theater before and they're like oh this show is about the cowboys when the grand final gotta go and we'd have people up in cairns you know coming in their full cowboys gear you know their big hats and stuff and this guy even even brought his own esky and with with beers in it, like to, to <laughs> <the theater> show. <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. Just the the range of people that came because it was you know it was a story about um, sport, and um, and then theater people were like, oh, I'm not really interested. But they would come and see it and be like, that that was the one of the best shows I've ever seen. And they're like, I really want to watch football now. And wow. and it's um and it, it's it's the thing that you it, it's just, I think it's the passion that's just so intoxicating about people who love sport and mm. uh, the the thing and and what people saw when they came along to see the show was that there's a direct um, there's so many similarities between theatre and sport mm. and um, you can meld those two together and they they yeah. can actually live within a story and create a really great story yeah wow yeah so it was it was a really great experience to see that those two worlds can actually mix and Mm. and we had people that that actually would come and see the show like three or four times and because it was they they loved it so much and they would bring their friends you know (laughs) I've never been part of a show that that created that before so amazing it feels like the emotion is the connector yet again we just Mm. talked about that Mm. but you know that that ability to connect people so the art world kind of going um no I'm not into sport and the sport world going no I'm not into theater and yet they sat together and were able to connect with each other through the emotion that you were able to uh deliver on stage yeah that's very powerful, isn't it? Again, yeah. transcending the physical. Yeah. Everybody being able to connect within that space. That's cool. That's yeah, exactly. Cool. And that's what story story can do for people, you know. It can really, it really does connect. 
everyone. I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we see, we're seeing it now with COVID last year, you know. People um, uh, don't put that much um, weight in the arts and, and see the arts as, as something that's, um, that's valuable. But when, when the world shut down, we all turned to Netflix and TV shows to, to get us through. And, and, the, and that's essentially stories, you know. We, we need to understand that that's, that's a very valuable part in human existence at the moment, you know, and, and it always has been storytelling. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And a way for us to process what we're going through, mm. receiving stories from others and um, being part of somebody else's story. It's a, yeah, it's a very mm. deep ability to process which is amazing. I want to touch on two things. Those two examples that you've just talked about in your work is something that you were really drawn to as you, as you just described, you know, like the, I, you know, watching the grand final and going, I know how to be that, that, that story because you've already embodied it. And um, similar for the seven stages of grieving, your ability to embody um, and create the story as your own. How do you choose? Is that is that how you choose your work? Is that something that's really important for you? Um, yeah, it's um, I've I feel like um, yeah, I feel like relatability is is something that's um, that's really important to me in terms of how I approach my work. Um, there's, there's times when I've, you know, as, as an actor, you do shows because you need work and, um, and then it turns out to be a really great show, you know, and then there are shows that you're like, I need, I need to be in that show. (laughs) I have to be in that show because I, you know, so it's, um, yeah, it's one of those things where you, you, you find yourself, uh, and I found myself, um, often, uh, with a character that I cannot, uh, uh, not not that I cannot, but I feel like it's really hard to bring that person to life because I, I'm really struggling connecting with who they are and and um, certain um, aspects of of that character. I find it hard to kind of get into their mindsets or whatever. But it's um yeah, it, it's one of those things that I when I I like that's how I like to choose my characters is is how whether that reflects anything in my life that I can bring bring to it Mm. so Mm. yeah 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 wow all of these different things I think feel like you know taking on somebody's uh, the persona is somebody's identity isn't it the story, the character in the story is the identity of that character and the wholeness of, of who that character is to be. And obviously you bring um, yourself because you're playing that character into life. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, um, y- you know, it's, it's, it's necessary to fill, to fill that character up with who you are or who you think they are. And um, and to make them uh, a believable three D person, you know, someone who's um, 
a three-dimensional character who does things who does this because of this and who who reacts in in that way because this has happened do you feel like the characters that you take on help to um, bring more of yourself out sometimes I feel like the characters sort of well yeah sometimes they inform me and I'm I inform them and sometimes I just I just get completely lost and I I need my director to help me Mm -hmm. um with that character and um like for instance I there's a character that I I really loved and I didn't I actually forgot about it I think in um in my bio is that um I did a show for Belvoir Street last year called Cursed and um the character I played was a writer and um a, a journalist and and um she was part of a family, like a really multicultural family. Her her sister was her mum. Her mum was white, and her sister was half Chinese, and her brother's half Maltese. And they're, they're this button, and she's Aboriginal, and they're this mixed up family. And um, they're raised by their grandmother. And I, that that was so removed from my experience as a human, um, and as an Aboriginal person. And and it was it, it was kind of difficult to get into her her mindset and who she was but in the end you know she she was such a lovable um strong character and um and playing her was um was a kind of cathartic for me because it it was stepping into somewhere uh, someone else's shoes that I'd I'd never could not really relate to and it, and I felt like it it stretched me as an actor because I had to make leaps and bounds within within my mind and within um, uh, my own psychology to fit who that person was yeah mm. so it was um that was a really that was a really interesting and um, fun time because I had I had a really great cast that I was working with too and it was a comedy as well which was um hard for me because everybody else was um funny and I was the main character so I was the the straight person in in the whole show trying to sort everybody else out and so it, it was difficult trying to 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 be that and not get to you know have the fun that everybody else is having but um but yeah it was it was it was amazing such a good script too it your story feels like um you're mirroring back real life in terms of you know we try on different parts of ourselves as we go through our lives and check which fits and what doesn't and we mask up sometimes and we've got expectations and we've got labels and you know, we're kind of weaving our way through what is what is truly us. Who are we really, and what do we truly believe? So, therefore, you know, when we get when we take on other people's perceptions, we're stre- we are stretching ourselves in another way because it's could be a lens we've never ever considered before. But it may be something that that we need to hear or see or learn or feel. Um, so that's what you brought up for me when you were talking about that. I found that really fascinating, actually. Yeah, yeah. And and the thing is too, there's what and I always look at things that go, what's what's healing about this for me? What um and and what what is healing about this story in a way? And um what was really great with with Cursed was that it was a story of a mother and daughter and well a mother and her children and and my character was the main character, so it was it was my my journey 
with my mother and um, and our relationship. And there was this, um, at the end, we reconcile and we, we sit and we have a conversation and, and, and we finally understand each other and we finally get each other, you know, and, and um, that was really sort of healing because I thought of me and my mum and, and what we didn't really get to do before she passed. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it was, it is, it is funny how it's really, really cool how my career has sort of led to all of these moments of, of healing and, um, and uh, sort of catharsis in a way, you know. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I love that. What is healing for me in this? Mm. I love that question. That's, mm. that's a really beautiful question I think we could all ask ourselves in the situations we find ourselves in, what is this growth within that is available to me here? What is this healing? I really love that. Before I ask you what healing our identity means, I wanted to ask whether you get um, feedback from people who receive your stories through these shows and, you know, any insight into what it means to them. Yeah, um, I think... There's this one story that I have, and and it's not necessarily feedback, but it was it made me feel like what I what I was doing actually um, was making some kind of a difference. And with Grin and Tonic, um, who were the producers of um, the Seven Stages of Grieving, um, we. They they came, they were co-producers at, with Queensland Theatre Company um, in 2015, but we also Grin and Tonic had also organised a schools tour of the show, so we scaled the production down and and went on a tour to high schools mm. around wow. Queensland. And um, I remember uh, being at I think it was near Rockhampton, maybe I think it might might have been Yapoon. And we were at the high school there and um, we'd set up and we did the show. And at the end, there were these two girls sitting at the front, two Indigenous girls sitting at the front of the, um, of the audience. And, um, and they were the first to ask questions at when I did my Q&A at the end. And, um, and then I answered their questions and they, they were pretty happy with that. And then they left and went to their, their new period and the teacher stayed behind and was like those two girls don't engage in anything like I can't get them to do anything in class they just sit in the back and don't listen to me and don't want to do anything and they had started at the back of the of the classroom and by the end of the show they were sitting right at the front and um and that story that incident and and they were the they were the first to ask me questions that made me feel like there's there's something I'm doing here that is actually helping and whether or not they've um I don't know what they're doing now with their lives but that created a spark in them you know they they mm-hmm. saw themselves reflected in me and and that engaged them in something that um, that they don't usually participate in, you know. Mm. So it was um, that 
that sort of feedback is what really um, inspires me and what and I think of that story often and that keeps me going because you know um, it's important for that mm. rep- that's when I realized how important representation is yes for, yes for us when we're young and you know if I'd seen more of that when I was young you know I, yeah it, it's just um, you feel you don't feel so alone Anymore, you know, you, I felt like I had these when I was a teenager. I felt like I had all of these dreams. I wanted to be an actor, and I wanted to do this, and I wanted to make films and stuff. But um, I didn't see that many of us doing doing that. So it it felt like it was maybe something that was impossible. But I I did it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there was obviously inspiration like, you know, Deborah Mailman and Leah Purcell out there, you know, in uh, acting on, on shows and, and doing what they were doing and just being just incredible um, inspiration for us. So, yeah. Mm, what a powerful um, recollection. And also taking the seven stages of grieving through high schools. I mean, that's powerful in itself. So, you know, no doubt touched so many. I was having a conversation yesterday about the fact that um, a lot of the work that we do, and I feel that, that perhaps quite similar for you, can be invisible work. We don't know who's listening to our stories and we don't know who is receiving whatever they need to, that spark, you know, that that they need for themselves. We may never hear about it, um, but when you hear one one person or one bit of feedback, you do get that ability to go, okay, great, what I'm doing here is bigger than me and I will continue. It's like that little bit of extra drive, isn't it? Mm, yeah, absolutely. It is and it, it, it keeps you going. The more exposure... Um, Indigenous kids and and um, children of colour. I mean, you know, refugee kids. You know, mm. the more that they see their, themselves and their stories represented, the more they feel like they're they're important and that they matter and their stories matter. Yeah, yeah, that's that's important to me, and yeah. and that um, you know, they that they. Um, that they're valuable. Yes, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. And they're not alone because mm. they can see themselves in somebody else. They can resonate to parts of stories and they can know that it's not just them battling yeah. through a challenge on their own. Um, yeah, I love that. Yeah, couldn't agree more. So what when I say to you healing our identity, what comes up for you? Oh, uh, so much. <laughs> um, I think uh, I, I, I wrote some stuff down, but I also think, you know, it's, it's storytelling. Storytelling is, is really important for healing um, who we are as people and it's, it's, being, uh, it's, it's being brave enough to, to share your stories and, and to delve into them and, um, and do your research and find out and and then and sometimes it's not for the whole world but it's it's for your family or you know and it's to share stories 
um, from your past. And I, I feel like there's a lot of our old people that have passed that I wish we'd have gotten their stories and that I wish we'd have heard um, from them about their life um, and and stories that they wanted to tell. I feel like I've I've missed out on so much. One, because I was so young when they passed. Um, and then two is because sometimes you lose them so suddenly, you know, and having, I think for us, just having safe spaces for us to share with each other um, is, is really important to healing, mm. healing who we are. At the moment, I'm on a journey of, of writing my grandfather's story and um, he, you know, he's had a really tough life and I, and I grew up not knowing that much about my culture. Um, I grew up hearing the language, knowing words but not being able to put a sentence together. And, and you know, I, I could speak um, animal, the names of animals and I, I can, you know, say body parts and stuff but um, not, not a whole sentence and I can't tell a story. In, in my language so I, I went you know I'm gonna I'm gonna remedy that and I'm gonna write a story and then I'm gonna translate it into my language and learn in, in that way and I feel like that's that's been incredibly healing for me and, and going and doing research as I've I've found that there's so much of of our culture um, that we that has been introduced from um from missionaries that we've taken on and for as an example um uh it's the the notion of um smacking your kids um i you, you know it's something that my uncles and aunties and stuff you know god bless them like <laughs> they you know they they grew that's the way they grew up and you know that's all they know and it's like you know i, I you know smack my children and you know it, I'm not traumatized and and I'm like yeah cool like that I, I'm not judging that but um, actually this whole idea of not smacking your children isn't a new age thing in my research I've found that um, my mob I can only speak for my mob but my mob didn't smack their kids and when the missionaries came they they would invite the women and children to come and um, stay with them and they'd teach them and try and convert them and when the kids would act up, they would smack them. And the women would just be so um, traumatized about that and upset that they would actually take their children away and from, from the missionaries. And so um, I, I realized, oh, <laughs> this whole new age thing of not smacking your children is actually something yeah. Indigenous people did. Um, well, well, like you know, my, my mob certainly did. And um, so for me, it's about decolonizing those things as well and, and, and taking back um, our power and taking back our, our knowledge of those things and, and, and who we used to be. I mean, you can discipline in so many other ways. And, and the way our, our mob would get disciplined is that they, they would go off into initiation. That was their discipline. That was them, you know, learning about culture and, and respect and everything in in that way so they would grow up to a certain point and then they would go off into initiation and and learn that stuff so yeah it's um uh there's there's not that sort of rite of passage anymore that i think is 
really important for who, who, well, I found for me, you know, it took me a long time to accept that I was a woman. I always felt so behind everybody, you know, because I didn't, I didn't have children. So I didn't feel like I had that right to call myself a woman. Yeah. So it's, it's really, I think it's for me, decolonizing that yeah there's so many other little things that we've taken on and and this whole myth of uh that queer people didn't exist in our culture pre-colonization and and taking taking that power back and going no actually homophobia isn't part of our culture Mm. it's it's never really been and and queer and lgbtq plus people have always been part of human existence Mm. it's you know it's not some new thing that's come about in the 20th century so Mm. yeah um for me that it's all of those things that we've taken on um all of those um ideals and ideologies that we've taken on subconsciously that we do uh as part of who we are is actually not who we are and letting those go and 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 being able to accept those differences within each other and within our community so yeah beautifully said so if there was one last thing that you wanted to um express and leave our listeners with what would that be (laughs) i saw this um uh uh quote yesterday um i think viola davis my um my absolute hero i love her she posted it on her social media yesterday and it was um uh be brave enough to suck at something new I was like yeah be brave enough to suck at something new and I went oh that is something that's actually been um something that I have been trying to learn and teach myself because I've recently gone from being an actor for for years and years and then um uh, and now to writing and I yesterday I was just telling myself because I read over some of the stuff that I wrote a couple of months ago and I went, oh, that's terrible. <laughs> oh, that's really bad. I don't want <laughs> and, um, and I just went, oh, but that's so good that it's bad because I can make it better, you know. I love that. And um, Beautiful. Having, having that perspective now because a couple of months ago I just like I knew it wasn't right but I couldn't see the forest for the trees, you know, and I was just like, how, how do I make it better? I didn't know how to make it better. And now that I, I've just done a show and, I, and so I've separated myself from, from that uh, for a couple of months and, yeah, and going back and reading it just went, oh, but, you know, now I, I you know, I have a different perspective on it, which yeah. is, um, and I, I ride myself so hard and I think so many people do that. I think so many people put so much pressure on themselves to be perfect or um, be really good at something straight off the bat and you don't have to be. Mm. Um, yeah, it's uh, just being kinder to ourselves. Would we speak to ourselves the way, um, would we speak to our best friends the way that we speak to ourselves sometimes? No, we wouldn't. And we wouldn't speak to other any anyone the way that we sometimes speak to ourselves. Mm. And if we treat ourselves like we're our best friend and we're, we're somebody else and speak to us um, kindly, uh, it would, yeah, would have a lot, would achieve a lot more, I think, instead of just go, crawling into a ball and going, I can't do it. Well, you, you actually can. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Thank you so much. I love that. Be brave enough to suck at something new. Absolutely. Just keep going. If you really love it, keep doing it, you know? Yeah. Thank you so much. Is there somewhere that our listeners can go and connect with you? Do you have a page on um, socials or can they go and see your work? What's the best way? Yeah, well, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a millennial, so my, my platform, my favourite platform is Instagram. <laughs> so I, I post a lot on there. <laughs> um, I love TikTok, but it's, just, it's not, my, not for me. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yes, uh, my, my handle on social media is sh- um, on um, Instagram is Shinoa Demo. I'll pop that in the show notes as well. Awesome. So people can connect directly with you. Um, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's been such an amazing, awesome conversation. I really love that you took us into the theatre and all of the ins and outs that goes with that. And I, I got a lot of resonance from it. Amazing. So thank you so much for being with us on the Healing Our Identity podcast. Oh, no worries. Thank you for having me. And I really love your podcast. I've listened to a few and and it's really great to hear from so many different women from so many different backgrounds and what you're doing is fantastic. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Cultures of Change, Healing Our Identity. If you liked this episode and it resonated with you, please share amongst your networks so we can get the message out to more women who need to hear it. Please tag me in any shares on Facebook or Instagram at Cultures of Change and feel free to reach out, message me or check out our website www.culturesofchange.com.au. Remember to like and subscribe to our podcast so you know when our next new episode is out. Thank you so much for joining me for these conversations. I love having you here. And I look forward to seeing you in the next one.